Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Spoiler alert to your listeners. You're getting older. Aging isn't optional, but growing is. The question you were probably asked way back when was, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, the question that we took on with the title of this book is who you want to be when you grow old. In other words, now that you're growing up, uh, what's the next uh, stage for you? And then we call it the path of purposeful uh, aging. And so uh, the universal uh, purpose that's worldwide and scientifically validated in a lot of different narratives is this. It's only two words. Grow and give. If you get up every day with the intention to grow and to give, you're living purposefully. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Richard, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, it's a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Srini. Oh, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your book by way of your publicist. And when I saw the title, Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? Part of me kind of cringed because I had to accept the fact that I'm probably on the back half of my life uh, at the age of 43. But I also wanted to know more because I knew this was an incredibly important subject. But before we get into all of that, uh, I wanted to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that influenced and shaped who you've become and what you ended up doing with your life? I think the most important or one of the most important things I learned uh, from my parents uh, when I was growing up, my parents made me take elocution lessons. Have you ever heard of elocution lessons? No, that literally, I was going to be like, what the hell are elocution lessons? Well, I was a I was a young athlete. You know, I wanted to be out in the park playing hockey because I live in Minnesota. And every Saturday, or not, uh, once a month on Saturday, this woman named Miss Loker would take the bus over to our house. And what the point of the of the lesson learned is you need to be able to speak. My dad is as uh, you know, kind of a bootstrapper without an education, et cetera. 
learn to speak. And and uh, so he would make me uh, memorize every single morning one word out of the dictionary and come down to breakfast and uh, articulate that word for him. He said, you need a vocabulary and you need to be able to talk. And I'm going to give you lessons from Miss Loker. And at the end of, uh, I can't remember, six months or, or uh, we would do like a recital in front of an audience. You know, can you imagine being in your <laughs> teens or in, in even before that 12 years old doing, uh, taking elocution lessons and doing a recital. And so I make my living speaking and I, <laughs> I look at the way people, very smart people, don't speak well. And yeah. uh, I agree with him now. You know, at the time, I didn't think it was such a cool idea. <laughs> I was going to ask you, did you only recognize the value of that in retrospect, or is it something you saw in the moment? Uh, I didn't see it in the moment. I mean, I, I resented. My, none of my friends even knew how to spell elocution, nevertheless, to have an elocution lesson. And yeah. so, anyway, um, that's the point. Yeah, wow. I didn't. I didn't see it as as valuable at the time, but increasingly I I have uh, thanked him for that. Yeah. Um, You know, I I wonder in your parents' generation, what were the the sort of social values that drove, uh, you know, choices and decisions about the things that people did with their lives? And how did those impact where you, you know, made choices? Well, my father used to uh, was worked in a bank and kind of earned his way up and uh, worked in the same uh, bank for 40 years, retired, died two years later. And uh, he, you know, the, the model then, the growing up model was the three stage model that this book takes on, this new book takes on as erroneous. And it was learn, earn, retire. You know, get a job, take, get security and work hard and all of those things, which are all good values. But uh, that model is no, is not my model. I mean, I'm 77 and I'm working, writing, speaking, doing things that I love to do more than ever. So what's the point of, you know, retire? I retired the word retire. And uh, it's not part of my, but that was his, you know, he worked hard to get there. And then he didn't, unfortunately, have time to enjoy it because he died. Yeah. What about your mother? Uh, I noticed you haven't mentioned her at all. Yeah. Stay at home mom, uh, volunteer uh, in that in that era. Dad went to work. One brother that's seven years older than me. So, and uh, he's a, f- a retired physician. Uh, but you know, we kind of—I was kind of like an only child in certain ways because he was pretty much gone, pretty much gone. But, but my mom was—I uh, would call her an entertainer. She and my dad did a lot of entertaining as part of his work, and she was. Uh, everybody loved her because she was so gracious and such a great host. And uh, but she kind of was the backstory of my dad's being the front story in a traditional marriage. Yeah. So. When you graduated from high school, I mean, one, did your parents give you any guidance on particular career paths? I mean, you chose to, you know, do something that a lot of people, I think, aspire to do, which is become a writer, speaker, uh, you know, author, whatever it is. I mean, and you know this as, as well as anybody. When you sign up for a life in the arts, you're signing up for a life in which nothing is guaranteed and anything is possible. Uh, so did your parents, you know, give you any particular guidance? And then, you know, what was the trajectory that led you to where you're at today? No guidance. Uh, I'll I'll share with you that um, I went to an inner city high school in St. Paul called Central High School. 
I'm on, when you go into there now, I'm on the wall in the Central High School Hall of Fame. And next to me is Richard Schulze, who's the founder of Best Buy, the billionaire founder of Best Buy. <laughs> and uh, on, the, on the other side of me is a, a Hall of Fame uh, athlete, Dave Winfield, both graduates of. And I'm in, the, in between as kind of the, I don't know what to call it, somebody who, who lived sort of a normal life, uh, writing and doing things. And so I had to give a speech, or I got to give a speech to accept the Hall of Fame uh, honor, which my wife, who taught in the inner city schools for 30 years, was kind of like, well, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, my talk is only four words long. And she, she about fainted. And uh, so I got up in front of the high school, all these kids, a very, very uh, diverse crowd. And the media was there and, and the principals and, and teachers. And, and uh, I was the only, there were two of us actually re- receiving this award at this time. So I got up and said, my talk's four minutes long. Pause. There was this teacher, and I looked out, and people were like, yeah, yeah. I said, I guess it's going to be longer than four words, but I only have five minutes. So there was this teacher named Miss Hart up in room 308 who really made a difference in my life. You've all had fortuitous encounters with people uh, in your life who are not your parents or grandparents or family members who kind of made a big difference in your trajectory and believed in you and gave you some confidence when you were in a rough patch. Miss Hart was my homeroom teacher. She's a biology teacher, quite a classic old time, old school teacher. And uh, I said, I just want to thank her. And uh, I said, now I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, who is that person for you? And when I'm done here, I want you to thank them in some way. If they're deceased, like Miss Hart is, you can still thank her in your own your own way. And I was done in four minutes, and I got a standing ovation. And uh, the reason I got the standing ovation was not because it was a stellar talk based on my elocution lessons. <laughs> it happened to me that they all knew that was the truth. They all had people in their life that mattered and helped them to matter. And uh, so uh, that, to me, was a real memorable uh, time in my life. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, kind of was fortunate enough to get to go back and talk to my high school AP English teachers class after I got my first book deal uh, with no idea that I would ever be a published author, you know, uh, when I left high school. And Mm -hmm. the thing that struck me most uh, about everybody that I was talking to seniors in high school who had their whole life ahead of them is how worried they were about what they were going to do with the rest of their life. And I mean, I'm guessing at 77, you know, better than anybody that life rarely goes according to plan. So, you know, even though we're talking about purposeful aging here, what do you say to those young people? And, you know, why is it that we have this sort of, you know, linear narrative of having to have your whole life planned out? Well, uh, there's a whole lot of layers to the the, the question, as you, you know. Uh, but the one thing is that Carl Jung said the greatest damage you can do to young people, including your own kids or family, is your own unlived life. And so I try to live in a way that is not trying to model how they should be, but models a sense of integrity, using my gifts on things I care about in an environment that's healthy and making choices. And uh, uh, one of the chapters in this 
new book that just came out is uh, How Do I Stop Living a Default Life? And I find a lot of people, including myself, when I first launched into my life and career after learning or after school, uh, live a default life. They kind of say, well, at some point when I have enough money or I get to a certain point, then I'll do what I really want to do. And I tell people not to to go for that, not to go for a good, your an authentic, good life, your vision of it. And then I help them articulate what that might be. But so many people feel trapped, particularly like at your age, living a default life. In other words, they're feeling as if uh, they didn't really, they're, uh, they didn't choose their career, their career chose them because that's what their, pa- their parents would pay for or that's what was available in the town they lived in or the money they had. And someone said, oh, you'd be really good in math. You should be an engineer. And now all of a sudden <laughs> they're an engineer yeah. and they hate being an engineer, but they it chose them and now they're, they have a mortgage and, you know, what, whatever. So I try to, to help them to uh, at every stage along the way um, to stop living a default life. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think our, our social conditioning and social programming really kind of embeds this whole idea of a default life because, you know, from the moment you uh, start high school uh, and then you go to college, you know, you're basically taught to choose from the options in front of you and you're blinded to the possibilities that surround you. I know this right. because, you know, what do you get when you get to college? It's like, here's the course catalog. Here are the different majors. Here are the potential careers that might result from them. Right. Um, and you mentioned that your wife was an educator for 30 years. And given you know, sort of the work experience that you've had, the perspective that you have on all of this, you know, if you were tasked with redesigning our education system to, you know, have people consider the kinds of questions that you're posing in this book and, and in general, what would you change about it? I would, cre I would create purpose-driven schools that help people discern the purpose, their gifts, passions and values, you know, who they are, not just what they know. And uh, right there in Boulder, Colorado, is a guy named Ross Wenner, who founded the, the World Leadership uh, Schools. And the, these are, he's designed a curriculum, uh, which is exactly what I'm talking about, because I'm his mentor and help him with it. But uh, these are purpose-driven charter schools worldwide, global. And, uh, and it's a growing movement. And um, one of the things I want to say, because it's really important, I believe, it, to both young, middle, and older people, is this. Purpose is not a luxury. I'll say it again. Purpose is not a luxury. At some point, when you get around to it, or you have enough money, or you're, or you're retired, what I have learned over now five decades of work on this is that purpose is fundamental. It's fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness, to fulfillment, and even to longevity. People who have a reason to get up in the morning, a why, tend to live seven to 10 years longer. And the uh, one of the people who uh, uh, I worked with on the PBS special ahead of time, because I, I got to go out to the neuroscience labs, uh, Srini, who were doing work on purpose in the brain and attitude in the brain. And one of those people, a guy named Dr. Majid Fatui uh, at Johns Hopkins, held up a pill and he said, Richard, you see this pill? Would you buy it? And I said, so what does it do? And he said, well, it will give even people with dementia and Alzheimer's a certain quality of life. It will uh, reduce the incidence of macroscopic stroke by 41%, will not cure, but will help with sleep disorders like sleep apnea and add seven to 10 years to your life. And I said, wow. I mean, is there a pill? And he smiled and he said, yes, it's purpose. We now can measure purpose in the brain and we can see purpose. Uh, and it's you, know, you could call it attitude, but it's not just a positive attitude. It's a positive attitude beyond yourself because purpose brings meaning to you, but it also makes a difference, positive difference in the lives of, of, of others. And so uh, it's not a luxury. And uh, to go even further with that, 
back uh, way back when I was getting out of counseling psychology graduate school, trying to figure out what to do with my life, uh, I saw that one of the people who I was who I had studied was doing a workshop in San Diego, and I was actually in Denver at the time. And uh, um, it was a guy named Victor Frankel who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, which had been a very influential book in my own life and my own learning. And I spent five day, a week with him, and it changed my life forever because I saw that if those of your listeners don't know, Frankel wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was in uh, Nazi concentration camps. He was liberated, but his entire family was killed including his pregnant wife and his um, grandparents, parents, and siblings. And he survived. And he weighed 87 pounds when he was liberated from Auschwitz. He went back to Vienna, where he was a physician. He's a neurologist and a, a psychiatrist, where he was training physicians in what he called logotherapy, purpose or meaning type uh, work. And when he healed, he he wrote, he was able to write the book Man's Search for Meaning in nine days, and he said this. He said, uh, "Purpose gives you the will to live, not just for yourself but for others." And he said, "I could get up in the morning, and I have a choice. I, and you have a choice, and your reader, your listeners have a choice. Uh, you can get up in the morning, and it can be all about you, or it can be about you and them. And when it's a purposeful life." Uh, and I make a distinction between having a purpose and living purposefully. Uh, when you're living purposefully and you get up, and he said, I could give others a kind word, a hug, a crust of bread, hope. And myself, he said, I could have hope and uh, to meet my beloved and to teach again, and all of which, uh, or his, you know, his wife was gone. But, um, so I think this whole thing is important for people at any age or stage, because purpose is age agnostic, uh, to realize that having a why beyond yourself to get up in the morning and make a difference in the lives of others is fundamental. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you say later on in the book um, is you talk about this whole idea of what you say, a, uh, you know, let me find the quote here. I'm just looking for it. Uh, where is it? Our culture is a young uh, half of life culture. The focus is on the external dimension of life, developing an out our outward focus plans and goals, looking after our relationships and our li livelihoods. It's about ascent, and I think that that's very common at a young age. Is that we tend to yep. be largely driven by self interest, and I think that uh, it's only with age that we start to kind of see the interdependent reality of the the society that we live in. And you know, so why do you think that is? Is it just, you know, age and experience that makes you realize that? And, uh, you know, for young people who are, you know, so goal-driven and ambitious, you know, and wanting to get ahead, because that was me, you know, 20 years yeah. ago, that was exactly who I, I, you're describing me in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's true and it's not true. I say everybody's an experiment of one. So it's different with uh, awareness now, whether it's global climate change or the pandemic or the end of work as we know it or as we knew it when you were growing up 20 years ago. Uh, there's a demand for new life skills and new, and there are new awarenesses. So 
I think it's a mixed bag, but it's true. Uh, you know, we grow up twice. The first time is from uh, childhood to adulthood. And hopefully we make that shift from being just about us to others. And then we grow up the second time from adulthood to elderhood, where we again make another shift. And if it's just about us in retirement, it's, you know, we don't do, we don't, we don't do as well. So, so I think, you know, uh, we grow up twice and we outgrow adulthood into elderhood, hopefully, but there aren't, you know, there are, there are transitions and rituals in childhood to adulthood, but there aren't many transitions and rituals from adulthood to adulthood to elderhood. So, uh, you remember um, the book when you were growing up, Passages? Um, mm, I'm not sure I do. Yeah, well, that book was on the New York Times bestseller list for like a decade. I mean, it was the new narrative about midlife, Passages by Gail Sheehy. And um, this book is the new narrative about this second half, or, you know, it's been 47 years, 47 since the book Passages came out. And people often do you know about it so uh spoiler alert to your mm. listeners you're yeah. getting older aging, <laughs> aging isn't optional but growing is and this yeah. book is about uh, you know the the question you were probably asked way back when was uh what do you want to be no i mean excuse me what do you want to do when you grow up Mm -hmm. Well, the question that we took on with the title of this book is who you want to be when you grow old. In other words, now that you're growing up, uh, what's the next uh, stage for you? And then we call it the path of purposeful uh, aging. And so uh, the universal uh, purpose that's worldwide and scientifically validated in a lot of different narratives is this. It's only two words. Grow and give. If yeah. you get up every day with the intention to grow and to give, you're living purposefully. And so I have practices that I share with people to do that. But I, I rarely get any pushback because if people try the grow and give practice for a week, in other words, put those two words on the mirror where you wake up and brush your teeth or get ready in the morning and ask yourself, what's my intention today? How am I going to grow and who am I going to give to or what am I going to give to today? And at the end of the day, you look at that same post-it on the mirror and you ask yourself, how did I do? Did I grow and did I give today? And at the end of five days or so, you'll have a felt sense, not just the concept, but a felt sense of what this purpose thing really is and how fulfilling it really is. Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing that I, I really love is that you make this distinction between getting old and growing old. And you say that we must stop viewing aging as a disease. Aging is not a disease. It's a design problem. Growing old is not a bug in life's program. It's a feature. Reimagining right. our lives for longer lives requires that we choose to grow whole, not just old. And that means exploring the path of purposeful aging. Yeah. So, um, you know, the thing is that we have this deeply embedded cultural narrative about getting old, not growing yeah. old. Right. Uh, so, you know, with that in mind and, and, you know, knowing that people's social conditioning is so deeply embedded to this idea that they're getting old, how do you get them to shift their mindset to the idea of growing old? With great difficulty, but that's why this book <laughs> 
that book, that's why this book is a new narrative, like Passages was at one point, uh, to help people through story and through um, new language to fight ageism. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we're going to na- navigate multiple transitions. It's not just one transition like retirement in uh, throughout life. And particularly, um, it's kind of the perfect storm right now for this book with the pandemic and with an aging society and with the end of work, as we know it, the changes in work that people are really stepping back and pushing the pause button and looking at the la- the larger we, uh, we call it the windshield versus the rearview mirror. They're looking out through the windshield to say, well, what's possible here? You see all this, they call it the great resignation thing. Well, that didn't just happen. That's been festering in the background for a long time with a lot of people who are doing things and living places that they don't want to. And um, I did a, a um, interview recently with something called the Real Estate Cafe, which is a very unusual thing for a book like this. But the uh, interviewer said it's not at all unusual that 46% of the people working at home don't want to live there anymore. And they want to live somewhere else. But they're, And so this now that they're living there and looking around and doing things and cleaning their closets and whatever they're doing at home all day, they're saying, you know, I don't, you know maybe it's time for us to move. Or maybe it's time for us to change careers or, you know, whatever. And so a lot of people are, uh, you know, sometimes we're pushed by pain. And sometimes we're pulled by possibility in terms of making these uh, choices in our our life. And a lot of people who are pushed by pain in the pandemic are, you know, looking through not only the rearview mirror to say what got me here, but also the windshield to say what's possible in the future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Uh, it's funny because when I read that part of the book, um, it reminded me of, of this story. I was having a really bad year in 2014. I mean, probably what at this point I would say was the worst year of my life. Mm. Um, you know, I'd gone from sort of, you know, writing a self-published bestseller to a business that was on the brink of bankruptcy, you know, a breakup yeah. advertisers, you know, gone all in a matter of like a month. And yeah. uh, I was sitting in this coffee shop and there was this guy, uh, you know, elderly gentleman. And every time somebody asked him how he was doing, he would just say, it's the best day of my life. And I you know, went up to him and, and I said, you know, why is today the best day of your life? Because I was having the worst year of my life. And I never forgot what he said. That was probably the best single piece of advice I've ever been given. And I've done interviews with presidential candidates, you yeah. know, iconic artists. And he told me this. He said, every day, he said, you know, I came to a certain realization that at some point in my life, there was going to be less days in front of me than there were behind me. So every day going forward is the best day of my life. And I thought to myself, that's stupidly simple, but brilliant. It's, it's profound. And it's actually pretty much the a cliched message that this book represents the same thing. And, and I talk about it, too, in terms of purpose, because it's the path of purposeful aging, purpose with a small P and purpose with a big P. And purpose with a big P is you know, we have to have a noble purpose and we have to do something great and found a company that's really successful or have a bestseller, you know, all these things. But purpose with a small P is is what he was representing. It's what every day, what are we doing to make, to grow and give, to make a difference in the lives of others? That's purpose with a small P. And whenever I talk about that in an audience, there's a big sigh of relief when I talk about purpose with a small P. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk briefly about adversity because one of the things that you talk about is, uh, you say in the book, is that most of us will experience numerous crucibles as we age. How we make it through those crucibles and who we become as a result of them ultimately determines who we will be and the person we will grow into. Yep. So what have been your major crucibles in your life? 
and how do they change you as a person? Well, as I said earlier, we've all been pushed by pain or pulled by possibility, and I've I've had both. And uh, at the height of my, or I think I'm at the height now, actually, but at, the, at one of the heights of my career, I went through uh, an unexpected divorce, and here I was the you know the purpose guru, so to speak, who can't get it together with his own family, so to speak. And that was a very trying time, and I became the custodial parent for two kids who were in pubescence, and so I was the I was taking care of these kids, and so I had to make a lot of choices in terms of my career, my finances, uh, and uh, a lot of other things to uh, continue to do what I chose chose to do. So that was a crucible that that again, you know, when you look at the choices, like Victor Frankl talks about. I had a choice, and you know, people who went through this pandemic. If you look at the pan, at, at the reaction to the pandemic as kind of a bell-shaped curve, there's something called post-traumatic growth that's been studied for a decade. Uh, not so much about the pandemic, but other types of major crucibles, like you're talking about. And 15 percent of the people coming out of the pandemic are going to be continually in despair, hopeless, and stuck. 70% roughly, these are all rough figures from uh, research done by Tedeschi and Calhoun at uh, uh, in their post-traumatic growth research at uh, University of North Carolina. 70% are going to be come out of it, but kind of stumble out of it or come out of it. They'll, they'll pivot and bounce back, but they don't have any real practices to do so and any maybe even any great lessons they'll continue doing what they did then the other 15 percent on the right hand side of the bell-shaped curve represent post-traumatic growth that they actually are growing and getting better and making choices out of this as opposed to to not so i think with with um adversity we have choices and we need and so we call this the path of purposeful aging because purpose demands a path and practices. And one of the stories in the book, which is, um, I think, a profound story, is a story about a guy named Ed Rapp. Mm-hmm. Ed, Ed was, uh, I worked with him uh, teaching and coaching. He was one of the three presidents of, of Caterpillar, the earth-moving company in Peoria, Illinois, worldwide. He, he came from a small farm family in Missouri, first of his family to go to the University of Missouri, wasn't particularly outstanding, but got a job and worked his way up to be one of the presidents of Caterpillar. And and he was about to be one of the candidates, one of the three candidates to be the, the CEO worldwide. He was coming back from a trip. He was out for a, uh, a, a global trip, and he was out for a run with his son, very fitness and faith-based guy. And uh, his foot was dragging, and, he, and this persisted. Make a long story, uh, make the point of this, is that he was diagnosed by, at the Mayo Clinic with ALS at age 57. He immediately resigned uh, from Caterpillar to, you know, because he had ALS. He went back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where he lived uh, and where he had a home, and to determine, you know, what are my choices with ALS? Because you get a five to seven year, some say a two to five year sort of uh, sentence that this is, you know, this is not curable. We don't know what causes it and there's no cure. 
And two things happened. Big P, he created uh, a, uh, a foundation, a nonprofit foundation called Live Strong versus ALS. To date, if you go and look at that, he has raised almost $15 million for ALS research. And he's become an iconic speaker for quality of life during ALS and making choices. The second thing, though, and where I'm going with this is the little P. The little P of purpose is every single morning, weekdays, he gets up and, and at 8 o'clock Eastern time, he coaches, he listens and coaches somebody who was just diagnosed with ALS. Somebody, Srini, who he's never met before and will never see, but it makes a big difference in their lives because he talks about how he's doing and what he's doing and he has arm crutches. He works on his breathing, you know, all the things that are, he works hard at uh, maintaining some semblance of a quality of life as his health deteriorates with it, with, uh, with ALS. But there's a certain fulfillment and joy and the good life that he gets from this eight o'clock coaching call. And so the point is that we have, in spite of our adversities, we have choices. And they're not easy, and they're not fun, but they are choices. And so the question is, how how do we deal with what we're dealt? Yeah, it's funny you say that because one of the the projects that has been on my mind for the better part of this last year is is to start a podcast mentoring program for young kids who have started podcasts. Um, uh-huh. You know, because we have our online courses and all the stuff that we charge. But this is one of those things. Was like, wow, me doing this would actually be, you know, invaluable. It could make a huge impact. You know, twenty thirty years from now. Sure. Yeah. So what, what's, what's holding you back? <laughs> Nothing. There's really no reason. I think this conversation okay. is, is, you know, you, th- you a, said you were thinking of it, but you didn't say, yeah, this is the, uh, well, I, I mean, it, part of it is time, but that's actually a BS excuse. Honestly, um, sure. I have the time I could do this. I just need to do yeah. it. Um, yeah. One thing you brought up divorce and, you know, as a, a 43 year old single male who has an Indian mother and the fact that I'm single is the bane of her existence. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you what role uh, love and intimate relationships play in this whole concept of purposeful aging. Well, it's huge. That's you know, work and love. Uh, Freud had it right. Are the two things that cause the most joy and the most pain in in our lives? I've been interviewing older adults now for forty years, asking them if they could live their life over again. What would they do differently? Three things come up every single time, including the interviews for this new book. Number one, they say, so picture somebody like your mother. I don't know how old she is, but somebody older. If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? Number one, I'd be more reflective. I would step back and pause and look at uh, uh, you know, what my options are because I just kind of went through the default life thing. Secondly, they'll say, I would have been more courageous. I would have taken more risks in two areas, not money and not climbing mountains work and love. You know, you spend about 60% of your life working. And uh, so, uh, you know, people say, you know, that's a huge investment. I wish I would have found something that was a better fit for my, what I really love to do or what my gifts are, you know, those. those. And then relationships and a lot of regrets around uh, being a better parent, a better friend, a better uh, boss or neighbor or, you know, whatever. And then the third thing was purpose. People say every single person, and I've interviewed thousands of people over the years now, over many 
years have all said the same thing. Mattering matters. I want my life to matter. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. And I start with my family, my community, uh, uh, whatever. But um, so the, when you when you look at uh, I, I'm asked oftentimes to do to be an efficient at celebrations of life. And I was just just did one. My neighbor died uh, in December, and they just did uh, this September. Did his celebration of life? They asked me to be the officiant. And like David Brooks writes in uh, his work, he said, "There's a big distinction in life between resume virtues and eulogy virtues." And yeah. at a memorial service, what really counts are the eulogy virtues, which is the relationships that were created during life. The resume virtues, you know, Srini made a million do- a billion <laughs> dollars and you did this and this. No one really cares ultimately yeah. about them. They care about who you are and how you showed up in their life. And so it, it's central to what we call the good life and mm-hmm. um, um, uh, throughout life. Well, I mean, I think that makes a perfect segue to talking about money in particular and you know what we define as success because we live in a culture that puts billionaires on the cover of mag- covers of magazines. You know, these are the people that get all the stories written about them. These are yeah. the people who basically every self-help book is written about. And uh, there are two things you say paramount among, you know, these whole ideas of living a good life that, you know, that sets us free, however you conceive of is freedom. Uh, This results in a life that brings self and service to life. Crucial to this is a felt sense of compassion of wanting to make a contribution to something larger than oneself, rather than feeling that it's something one ought to do. Purpose is a verb. It's a path and a practice. And you say that worry about money is part of living a longer life, living on a fixed income might make us feel anxious seeing the mountain relatively relatively speaking of one of finances steadily decrease each month toward a molehill can be a source of understandable concern five minutes into any conversation about money with men and women over 60 and almost inevitably fears of homelessness and abandonment emerge and uh, you know I, i mean i don't think that that's an unwarranted worry for any of us no it's not it's a it's a warranted worry and uh, oftentimes, uh, some of the most purposeful, fulfilling people I've met over many years uh, have no money, and uh, they are even living in the bush in Africa in certain ways, with, with that they have nothing and share everything. So, I mean, it has everybody's an experiment of one, and yet isolation is fatal. So, how do we marry those uh, in certain ways to be successful? Uh, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from the American uh, essayist, E.B. White, who said this. He said, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Mm-hmm. Well, with all due respect to White, I think it makes it easier, not easy, but easier because we we want to savor, and that sometimes takes resources, and we want to save. We will save, meaning we want to make our contribution. We're we're herd animals. We live in community, and if we, you know, uh, a lot of talk over the last years about narcissism and uh, um, all of the self interest of different p- people, and it's you know it's it holds up the mirror that going it as a narcissist is a drag. <laughs> you, yeah. you don't want to be around those kinds of people because they're 
you know, they may be successful, but they're not necessarily fulfilled and they're not necessarily happy and they're not necessarily a lot of fun to be around. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I I think that that uh, is a perfect segue to the, you know, place where I want to finish our conversation. And that's with friendship. Uh, And this is probably one of my favorite quotes from the entire book. You said, how many of us make great new friends later in life? It's possible, but unusual. Our scope of relationships, in fact, often narrows. Once we're settled in our relationships, we become complacent and stop actively looking for friends who strongly resonate with our values and interests. If we ever did so at all, we withdraw once again and settle. Uh, and I think that the reason that that struck me in particular, and I, I've talked about this in the show before, is that, well, you know, I, I spent a lot of time moving around as a kid. I, my dad's a college professor, so that means you move a lot uh, right. until he finds a teaching position. And right. so by the time I got to high school, I had, I think, been to 13 different schools, uh, wow. you know, and, uh, you know, I was in my hometown where my parents live now for three years. Uh, and then I just moved throughout my life. And I always jokingly say, I was like, it's not a coincidence that I've built out a, a career out of the thing that ensures that I will never stop meeting new people. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, um, do you find, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book, you know, the book is, is a, a very, is, is designed and written as a conversation. And it's the first chapter starts with the long conversation. And the last chapter ends with the ultimate conversation, which is, you know, a deep dive into, uh, dying, basically, or end-of-life type of, of issues, which uh, is a lot of people read it because they say, wow, that took a lot of courage to write that and be and be personal about it. I said it brings you alive. When you really look at things and you look at the clock ticking, it brings uh, what that guy in the coffee shop taught, taught you. It, it You know, your most precious currency is time yeah. and the choices you make, make with that uh, – that that time. And so I do believe, you know, David and I, David's a philosophy, tenured philosophy professor in Seattle. I'm come from the psychological angle in Minneapolis. And we've had this long conversation over decades together. We've written, this is our sixth book together, two bestsellers, etc. And the conversation was so much fun during the pandemic. I mean, if there's a silver lining in, in a pandemic, it was that we got to finish this book. And uh, we, you know, every other day we were on with each other and uh, and it was very personal, not just about concepts. And so I think having, you know, one of the things that I look at, uh, particularly the second half of life, that isolation is fatal. A lot of people are going it alone and loneliness is an epidemic, not just for the frail elderly, so to speak, but for many, many people. Technology, of which you are you know, deeply embedded in is a good thing, but it also is creating distance. And uh, we have more friends, but less intimacy, less Mm -hmm. people who really care versus cure or get us in certain ways. And I find people of all ages today that are really lonely and lonely, not like they're pining away at home, but they just, they want deeper relationships, not just and they want fun relationships as well that are not so deep. But um, so, what, what do you think about that? Given your, you know, we're our age, you know, quite a bit of difference in our ages, yeah. but I, in c- certain ways, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, we we absolutely are. Because I, I remember having this conversation with my parents a few years ago, and I was asking them about how often they see their close friends, and you know, they we have a family friend that lives about fifteen minutes from them in Riverside. They see them three times a week and they talk on the phone almost daily. And I yeah. thought to myself, I have friends who live one exit down on the freeway. I see them once a month. 
Yeah. You yeah. Know, what has happened here? You know, I mean, it's my dad literally grew up in an era, you know, when he came to Canada as an immigrant, the era in which, you know, the, they were there, uh, there's no internet at the time. He literally opened up the phone book. We're from a, a part of South India uh, called Andhra Pradesh, um, right. and we speak a language called Telugu. He looked for the first last name that was Telugu he saw in the phone book and just called that person. <laughs> and that person invited him to, uh, you know, a community gathering a week later. And my friend, parents have been friends with many of those people for over 30 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's changed no, that's great, a lot. That's a great, great story, and it's uh, you know it's one that keeps keeps going on. And uh, you know, one of the words that we take on and that I take on is uh, you need to put. Our, I'm going to advise people to push the delete button on the word "still." S T I L L still. Well, Richard, you're still writing. Richard, you're still trekking in Africa. Richard, you're still. Well, who gets to write the rules? or your parents, or me, or anybody else at any age about still, you know, so you could be very successful, and you're still working, or you're still doing whatever. And so I think we need a new language, new stories, new models for a cradle-to-grave purposeful life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, you know, I have... Uh two last questions for you. Uh, the first is with age, how has your personal definition of both purpose and success changed? You know, what was it when you were 20 and what is it at 77 and how does it differ? You know, for me, it hasn't differed a whole lot. Um, I love being a guide or a coach. And back when I was, um, out of graduate school, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, I had a job with what is now U.S. Bank. It was called First Bank at the time. And I was really a very successful human resource officer of that bank. And uh, But I had what is now called a side hustle. And a side, my side hustle was called Lunch Hour Limited. Uh, I love coaching and guiding, so to speak, and particularly around careers and work and these kinds of things. And so... Uh, lunch hour limited, you can figure out. You buy me lunch and I coach you. So it wasn't really about the lunch. I hardly ate because I was so busy coaching. But the fact is, I had an 80% success ratio. 80% of the people made major changes in their life. Some quit, some went back and reinvented what they were doing, some, you know, moved to other areas of the organization. But I found great, such great joy in this that I took the risk to set out on my own and leave a very steady default life. Uh, but I rode, you know, every day I would get, I lived in a place where I would take the bus downtown, which is where the office was. And I, the same people got on the bus at the same stop and sat on the same seats every day and fell asleep on the way home. And I just said, God, that could be me someday. I don't want that. I need to to step out and grow. I didn't say grow and give, but uh, grow and give. And I decided to take that that risk back then. And, you know, and one thing has turned into another and, you know, InVenture, the purpose company, my company, and, you know, 11 books later and on and on and on. But I've always been like you, found great joy in uh, listening to people's stories and also questioning, why are you doing this? You don't, <laughs> you don't like it. You're not being successful at it. Why don't you make a change? And so looking at that big question, uh, has been with me all the way along. Yeah. 
Okay, so I, I lied. I said I was going to ask you two last questions. So there are actually three. Uh, so <laughs> yours is going to be the last episode that people hear this year. Uh, and I'm wondering, as they're reflecting on this past year uh, and thinking about the next, what you know, parting words you would leave them with? Uh, you know, I'll go back to Victor Frankl, Srini, and say that um, Victor Frankl said this. He came out with a. Or he's been deceased now for fifteen years or so, and died at the age of ninety-three. But he had some work that was never published that came out in the title of the book that came out in twenty nineteen. Were three lectures that he gave prior to, after the concentration camps, but prior to writing *Man's Search for Meaning*. And the title of the book is "Say Yes to Life, in Spite of Everything." And so my advice to people is say yes to life in spite of everything. And the subtext of that would be, he said, don't ask what your purpose is. Ask, what is life asking of me now, right now, today, in this situation? And so I think that's, you know, say yes to life in spite of everything. And, you know, ask yourself, what is life asking me right now? Uh, like in this Riverside chat that we're, we're having what what was life you're you're questioning but i question myself what is life asking me what do i have to offer here yeah all right well i have one final question which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable uh i think what is unmistakable is invisible purpose is invisible. It's not something you get a lot of applause for necessarily, maybe big P purpose, but little P purpose is what's unmistakably creative is there are 1,440 purpose moments in a day. And if you take purpose, if you take, excuse me, sleep out of it, it would be less. But those little invisible purpose moments are the unmistakable creative acts that we bring to life every single day if we choose to do that. And my invisible or my unmistakable creative is to make a difference in one person's life every day. And at the end of the day, hold myself accountable for doing that. And I find such great fulfillment in that, such great joy in that, that why would I not want to do that? And I would hope others would experiment with that grow and give posted exercise and try it themselves and see if they don't get the same felt sense. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your wisdom and your story and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, the book, and everything else you're up to? Well, the book's available through the, all the normal channels like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other you know, independent outlets. And uh, Richard Leiter, and it's spelled L-E-I-D-E-R.com. If you go to richardleiter.com and you go to the toolbar and you go to resources, you'll see all kinds of free things like a uh, a guide to unlocking the power of purpose, a 25-page self-directed guide, a uh, repacking your bags journal that helps you d determine what's the good life for you, and other things like that. And they're all free. So I would suggest go to richardleiter.com, go to the resources, and see what's there. And one of the things that's there that I think uh, your listeners will find uh, of interest is it's called my my incomplete guide for purpose. Uh, excuse me, my incomplete manifesto for purpose. Every movement needs a manifesto. And so I wrote a manifesto and it's 
four decades of work on one page, 10 points. Here's what I really believe about what we just talked about today in 10 points. And the question is not what I believe. The question is, what is it you believe? And what is it your listeners believe? What's their manifesto? What do they stand for? What won't they stand for? Who do they stand with? Those kinds of things. And so I find that that manifesto went viral because so many people talk about purpose, but then you look behind the curtain and, you know, you know, the, you know, I don't get it. I don't get what they really stand for here other than a few words about it. Well, I took a deep stand on my manifesto. Mm. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and wisdom and insights with our listeners. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. 
Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.